Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, and I am the founder and CEO of Employers for Change and also the host of the Intern Whisper podcast. Today's tip of the week is about unconscious bias, also known as implicit bias, and it describes a subconscious attitude that affects the way individuals feel and think about others around them. Subconscious attitudes aren't necessarily as well formed as coherent thoughts, but they can be very ingrained and impact the emotional and rational responses of individuals in everyday situations. So biases and prejudices often develop in early childhood as children begin to make assumptions based on personal experiences. They may also receive stereotypes from parents, education systems, and other cultural institutions, as well as from other popular forms of media, such as books, movies, and television. As a result, unconscious bias can be forged over many years while going undetected. For the next upcoming weeks, we're going to be sharing these weekly tips and ways to raise awareness about unconscious bias. So welcome to The Intern Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. And today's guest is Michelle Cummings. She's the founder of Training Wheels, Chief Creative Officer with Personify Leadership, and a published author of The Real Sisters, and that's R-E-E-L. For our listeners, Michelle speaks at more than 25 local, national, and international conferences each year, and she authors a monthly team-building e-newsletter that has over 15,000 subscribers and 65 countries. She is like my new idol here that I want to <laughs> I want to follow. Fun fact, she is also from Kansas and so am I. I don't know. Are you? That. Yes, no. Lodge, Kansas. Have you ever heard okay. of it? I have indeed. Yeah. I was born there and lived in Wichita, so there okay. we go. Yeah, not many of us around, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the five words where you always kick off our show this way? What are five words that you would use to describe you? to somebody else. Okay. Well, the first one is creative. That is definitely one where I, I'm a creative who likes results. So I was given that creative brain, but I also like, I don't just create just for creativity's sake, I guess there has to be an end game of some sort where like I get, you know, that I have to get there. So creative is the first word. Number two, I would say fun. Um, the next word fun. I, pretty much don't want, like, there's not much in my life that isn't fun. Um, I have fun at my work. I have fun in my family. I have fun at my job. Um, and just like, yeah, I, if, if I'm not having fun, then I'm going to get creative and figure out a way to make it fun. Mm -hmm. So fun is another word. Accountable is another word. I definitely am a follow through girl. Like if I say I'm going to do something, I definitely will follow through. Uh, responsible would be another word. And I think that one kind of uh, takes care of itself or kind of explains itself. And then the yeah. last one is I'm game, um, which I know is a strange accurate or strange word to use, but like I'm game. I'm just I'm down for whatever. I'm, I'm game to try new things. Um, it's also a word that not many people use to describe themselves. So, which makes it unique. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So those are my five. I like those words. And I think that anybody that's creative has to be fun. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of goes with it. I don't know what's on your desk. I can see your desk behind you. I'm assuming that's a real desk. That is a real desk. It's a second desk. My, <laughs> my real desk is hidden from camera view because 
it's a little bit, that one's a little bit more organized than the one. Yeah, right in front it of looks me. nice. It's pretty tidy looking. But uh, things that are on my desk uh, are like kinetic sand and thinking putty and, you know, spinners and toys like that. I'm pretty sure you have stuff, toys, if you will. Mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite toy on your desk? Um, I have a stress manatee. <laughs> oh, which is just a, it up? I, I totally can where are you stress manatee um he usually lives right here in this corner ah he is missing I wish he fell back behind my desk that's but okay he is one that I snag all the time like on calls and stuff like that going I'm concerned where's my little stress manatee oh no but anyway okay. yeah he's around he's around it. but yeah that's one of my go-to I also have you know like a you know rubber dog um I, I have baby to, ducks. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah baby ducks. Oh. So, so I Excellent. like that stress manatee. Just so you know, I used to work for the Nature Conservancy. So you said manatee, and that's one of my trigger words. Oh, nice. Environment. Yeah, so super cool. Well, why don't you tell us how you got started from, did you go to college? What was your career path, first job, and how did you end up where you are? Yeah, sure. So I got my bachelor's degree in psychology from Kansas State University, and uh, after that, I went into the adventure therapy world for a while, and I worked at a I worked at a wilderness camp for troubled kids for my first job out of college. And you know, we lived outside in tents. It was kind of like outward bound um, a little bit for those that might that might be a little bit more familiar to people. And I fell in love with the amazing transformations that I saw in kids after we would do experiential work with them. So talk therapy just really didn't move the needle at all for any of them. But as soon as we started doing experiential activities and ropes course or or just using the power of experience, an experience of something that we did with them and then debrief it and talk about what just happened, why that was important and how it related back to the real world, I saw exponential growth in um, in these girls. And so so after my uh, after I was finished working there, I wanted to learn more about why the experiential stuff worked so well over the other things that we tried. So I went and got my master's degree in experiential education in Minnesota and just fell in love with hands-on learning and the philosophy behind it. And that when people are having fun while they're learning, it actually, they retain it. Mm -hmm. And it actually then, you know, leads to positive behavior change if it's framed that way. So so then I went and uh, I kind of worked in the ropes course industry for a few years after that and would help organizations build a ropes course, hire their staff, walk, write their staff manual, walk them through their first several um, months and worth of clients and whatnot. And um, the last place I did that, I uh, was in Colorado. And the day I moved to Colorado was the day I met my husband. So mm -hmm. I then had kind of switched paths instead of moving around to help build all these different facilities for ropes courses, I then thought, well, if I can't build a course that could come to me, I'm going to build a portable course that could go anywhere. And since I had created several team building exercises and activities, then I thought, well, and this was when the internet, this is going to date me a little bit, but this is when the internet was kind of new. And so I thought, well, if I can't build a course that can go to the people, I'm just going to build a portable course that can go anywhere in the world. And that's when Training Wheels was founded, was back in 1998 and uh, 99. And so from there, then I started going to conferences and I would show people, you know, I would present workshops and I started creating more and more experiential team activities. 
and uh, then started writing books. I've written seven books in the team building field and then the newsletter started it to get, you know, to get roots and whatnot. So that now has a life of its own as well. It goes out now every Wednesday and it's called the spokesperson. Oh, so you're going to, you're going to love, I'm, you're going to find out about me that I love a good metaphor. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I, I think in metaphor for sure. Like even training wheels, the name of my company is a metaphor. Because if you think about it, when you were learning how to ride a bike, you, for those that use training wheels, you only use that training for just a little bit before you then take that training wheel off and then you own it. And you've got to have that courage to then take that experience on yourself. And, you know, you're going to feel a little wobbly. It's going to be a little scary and, you know, but eventually it just becomes a skill that you own. And that is really at the core of all the work I do is I'm only with a group for a really short period of time. And then it's up to them to take what they've learned and own it. And it, of course, it might feel a little scary the first couple of times you try it, but then eventually it just becomes a skill you own. So, so, so yeah, that's kind of how I got my start. And that training wheels is now 24 years old. So I've been doing it for a little while. And then that led to my work at Personify Leadership as well. So I started Personify uh, 11 years ago and I co-founded it with a, who was a client of mine at training wheels. She was an HR director at an organization and had designed a leadership program internally at her company. And uh, it was very, it was great content, but it was very sit and very classroom based, very sit and get, if you will. Yeah. So I came in and popped in a bunch of experiential activities that really brought the content and the learning to life. And it went from her least requested training to her most requested training after that. So, so that we didn't know at the time, but that was our first rendition of our Personify leadership course. And so Personify is a, it's a leadership, co- we're a leadership company that focuses on eight, eight core competencies of effective leadership. And we do that through a two-day in-person classroom-based training that is experiential, research-based, and has been proven to show a 204% return on your investment. So Ooh. really great program. And it's now in multi, we've got hundreds of facil- uh, certified facilitators in um, in over, I think it's 25 countries now around the world. So Anyway, so that's a fun program as well. Yeah, it sounds great. What are those eight, uh, you said eight? Eight competencies, yeah. So we we use the metaphor of the body in our program. So we start with the heart of a leader. And at the heart of a leader, if um, if you're listening to this podcast, if you happen to check out the logo of our company, the logo actually teaches the eight competencies um, Mm. that we cover. So we start with the heart of a leader, you know, and that's the, the, um, the, high piece of our logo at the very top of the logo. And, you know, in that we talk about how to be a leader whose intention is to look out for the best interest of others. So we teach several skills in how to do that. Cause if you're a leader, that's only looking out for yourself, that's not the greatest example of leadership that we want to give. Now it's, we don't forget about ourselves, but at the same time, we, we also have to behave in a way that people understand what our intent is. So we talk a lot about intention and signals and things like that when we're teaching the heart of a leader. Uh, In the mind of a leader, we talk about emotional resiliency. What are your stress triggers? How do they affect the way that you lead? And then the voice and ears of a leader, we teach those kind of in tandem because it's awfully hard to have one without the other, Mm -hmm. but that's our effective communication uh, modules. Like how do you deliver a message that's truly going to resonate with your receiver? And then the flip side of that is then how how can you be a, a really, a truly a good listener? Because I feel like a lot of times I feel like when we were kids growing up, we are told 
to be good listeners. I don't think we're always taught how to be a good listener. So we teach some good core skills in that. And then in the hands of a leader, we talk about effective delegation and how to provide direction and support to those that we're leading. Because most of the time people are hired up in an organization because they were good at their job and not because they are great leaders or know how to manage people. So Mm -hmm. we we teach some good delegation skills there. In the feet of a leader, we talk about accountability. How do you walk the talk? How do you make sure your actions are aligned with your words and how to also take accountability when we make mistakes and how that actually helps build trust when we do that. And then in the spine of a leader, we talk about courageous conversations, how to have those tough conversations when you know you need to have them. And then in the eyes of a leader, we talk about vision and how to set goals, how to eliminate or mitigate the things that would drain our energy away from being able to accomplish our goals and just really look at what does it take to be a great leader? What does leadership look like? after you kind of try on some new skills and learn some new skills in how to be an effective leader. Man, you have touched every single point of what experiences, experiences should be, right? It should Mm -hmm. be things that you can taste, sense, touch, hear, all of those. I know there wasn't taste in there, but those hands allow me (laughs) to taste a cookie that you There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. So I feel (laughs) like, yes, you know, smell and taste are definitely a part of that process because- that does impact, you know, a lot of how we think Um, you're making it so that it is so possible that it's building a good positive memory Mm -hmm. inside of a person. So people want to replicate that feeling again. Yeah. And what we do that's different in our program. I mean, there's a lot of fantastic leadership programs out there. I mean, if you Google leadership development, you're going to find a lot of things. So what we do different is that we, ours is experiential. And again, just because that is to my core, the type of facilitator, trainer, and educator that I am is that I want you to experience it in your bones because then you're going to have that visceral memory, that muscle memory um, of the actual experience. So so there's eight modules or eight different competencies in our course. And so each one of the modules starts out with an experiential activity that is kind of like a team building exercise, but it's not. And so what, and that is, they're very intentional. The activities we've chosen are very intentional because they surface the behavior that we're about to go and teach skills in. And so when you do it in the order like that, you actually catch people in their own behaviors. And so then when we debrief that experience, we talk about what just happened, why did that happen or why is it important? And then how do we manage that behavior in ourselves or others? And so when you can, they're like, oh my gosh, I totally just did that. Um, in the in the activity. So it, it becomes very visceral. And now all of a sudden they, they lean in a little differently when you literally catch them doing what it was that we're about to go teach skills in. So they're having fun while they're learning. It is a crash course in self-awareness and where your strengths are and where your development areas are as a leader. Mm. I really like that. It's very powerful. Where we met was in Orlando at one of the leadership conferences that was, I don't know, way back. It felt like maybe it was four months back, something or six. But um, you really stood out because you were focused on the experience. Mm -hmm. And I love that you've got your little logo, uh, both of them in your frame here. I don't know how Mm -hmm. you did it. So you'll have to (laughs) adjust that too. (laughs) But it's it's got really a lot of beautiful colors, so it's pleasing to the eye. It's going to be something that is memorable because people can see it. You know, they mm-hmm. can actually understand, oh, it's connecting with me in these ways. So mm-hmm. great 
designer is all I can say. Is that, Thank you. Is that what you then? <laughs> well, I have a graphic designer that makes us look beautiful and I was the creative brain behind it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> totally good. So um, we're going to move over to a, a different area and you can talk about your businesses, you know, much as you want. It's okay if you want to be able to do that. But I also want to go to your book, The Real Sisters. What is yeah. that about? Yeah, The Real Sisters is a novel that I wrote um, several years ago. So it's it's it became one of those things I've written several books through Training Wheels and then I'm, I've got one coming out for Personify Leadership as well. But about, oh, it was in 2010, I got kind of a little seed planted that maybe I could write a novel. I'm a pretty good storyteller and I've always known that. And so uh, The Real Sisters came about from, I'm in a book club and which my book club girls, we call ourselves life club instead of book club okay. because we quote unquote read a book every month, but sometimes we don't ever get to it because we're just talking about life. And so there was one particular month where there was a book read called The Friday Night Knitting Club by Kate Jacobs. And truth be told, I didn't read it because it just, I was really busy that month. It didn't sound like a book that maybe would really interest me. Um, so I didn't read it. And then I show up to book club and the, my um, one of my girlfriends, she said, uh, I have the biggest surprise. I went on to Kate Jacobs' website to download discussion questions for book club. And she had a button on her page that said, click here if you want Kate to call into your book club. So she clicked it and she had our date and time open. And so she signed up for it. So here's a New York Times bestselling author that is going to call into my little book club of like seven, eight people. And so now I feel like a total jerk for not reading her book. Yeah. Right? I'm like, oh my gosh, give me the clip notes. And so anyway, you know, she called in, this was before Zoom was a thing, but she called in on speakerphone and we just got to interview her and ask her questions. And it was so fun. And honestly, if you think about it, it was an experience yeah. that I felt very viscerally, right? I was like, I can't believe it. And so, so anyway, it was so inspiring to me. I went home to my husband that night and I said, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to write a novel. He was like, okay, oh my goodness. You know, <laughs> he has to live with this creative brain. He's like, so, but I just, I couldn't let it go. So then finally he was like, all right, let's draw the book out of you. So we have this code phrase that he and I use that if I if he needs to help me draw something out of my brain, he says, do you want me to go into inquiry with you? Mm -hmm. And what that means is, is all he can do is ask me questions. He can't offer his own opinions or suggestions or things like that. He only asks questions. And it just allows me to really think through things and just, he literally pulls things out of me. It's it's a fantastic tactic and strategy that we use. So, so anyway, so we went to dinner one night and we were there for three hours and he just started peppering me with questions and, you know, why do you want to write a novel? Who's your intended audience? What do you want the book to do in the world? And like all of those types of things. And so really at the end of that three hours, he pulled out of me, I would love to craft a story that somehow would hit the everyday book club market and the everyday woman and it would encourage, it would be a story that captivated her so much that it would encourage her to step outside of her day-to-day -day routine and try something new in the outdoors. Because I love the outdoors. I'm a farm kid from Kansas that just grew up outside. And, you know, I just feel like nature is the best teacher. So, oh, yeah. so I decided if I'm going to ask other women to do it, I have to do it first. So I chose an outdoor sport that I had never done before because I needed to push myself outside my own comfort zone. And I also wanted to write from the perspective of being new at something 
because that's when all your emotions are really raw and, you know, and basically use, I sucked at it, <laughs> you know, yeah. so I needed, I needed to suck at something so I could actually then um, see that progression and get better at it and grow that confidence. And uh, so I chose fly fishing. So the novel is called The Real Sisters, R-E-E-L, as in the fishing reel. And it's a story about, um, there's five women in the story and there are five main components to a fly rod and each one of their personalities metaphorically matches one of the main five components of the fly rod. So, so it's a story about the power of women friendship and how really you can learn a little bit about yourself each time you step into the river. So, so yeah, it came out in 2017 and um, it did really well. And it actually is, it got picked up by a screenplay writer and it's actually now um being looked at to be turned into a movie so yeah i know it's really crazy thank you thank you i like the name too and i like that backstory that you just told about how it relates to that i don't know have you already seen like who the um the main women are in this oh yeah absolutely 100 i already have been picked um in fact when you go to pitch a screenplay, because now, I mean, I can actually add screenplay writer to my resume because I co-wrote the screenplay with Sarah Page, who is my co-author on the screenplay. And she is, screenplay writing is her background in producing and directing and whatnot. So we are now in the pitch phase. So we have a beautiful pitch deck built out and we are actively soliciting um, producers and directors now. So, however, there's a writer's strike right now in Hollywood. So we're not, we're on pause right now until the writer's strike is over. We're hopeful that by July-ish it will be finished and then, um, and then we can get back to business. So, but yes, we've pitched several companies already, really fun buzz around it and interest. And so we're hopeful that it'll get picked up in the next few months. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what um, age you're placing the characters in, but I'm hoping that they're spanning several generations. Not There are. One. Yeah, we have a couple in their 20s, two in their 40s and one in their 60s. That's okay, the, main, like that. the main five. So and really one I, I was very intentional when I wrote when I just, you know, when I created the five characters that they were all different ages, races, professions, socioeconomic backgrounds, just to kind of also show that it doesn't matter where you come from, you can find friendship yeah. in the most surprising places. And, and again, when you step into that river, you, it will teach you something about yourself for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I like the, also the metaphor of stepping into a river. That is wonderful. I was an English major. So you're hmm. speaking all of my languages here. Just, Excellent. You know, yeah. I'm going, Oh, that sounds like a great, great book. Can't wait to see uh, until, you know, how it morphs out. I'm going to follow you even more. Is there a place <laughs> where we can follow this particular side of uh, what you're Yeah, doing? The Real Sisters, we have a, I mean, therealsisters.com is our Facebook, or is our website. And then we do have a, a Facebook page. I probably post most of my updates on Facebook more than anywhere else for The Real Sisters. So if you want to find that page on Facebook. I'll, that's where a lot of things get posted. Mm, okay. And if you go back, if you're curious, you can even go back like, cause I started writing the book in 2010 and then it didn't come out till 2017. Cause it was always kind of like my back burner project, kind of a passion project more than it was my real job. Cause my two real jobs keep me very busy. Yeah, that's for sure. So if you even want to go, you can scroll back and you can even go back way to the beginning and, and see kind of the evolution of where the book, um, how it, 
you know, from the beginning when I was writing it to then the evolution of when it then came out and, and, and even things like, like there have been, so one of my tag lines or one of my phrases that I use in there is what are you waiting for? Mm. Which waiting then is W-A-D-I-N-G, like mm-hmm. as if you are waiting in the river. And so there was one woman that after she read my book, like I get the most, I get the best emails from people after they reading it, after they read it saying that they changed their lives and, you know, different things like that. And one woman actually took my tagline, what are you waiting for? And had it tattooed on her shoulder. So that left a lasting impression for sure on her. Yeah. So that's an honor, right? Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. It's a real honor to have that. I will go look for you definitely on Facebook and please share your personal Facebook. We'll put that in your, wherever this is, we'll put that in our, our social feeds also. So who are your favorite leaders that you like to follow? Yeah, you know, I think now that I've, you know, been a female entrepreneur for, you know, closing in on 25 years now, you know, I have always looked up to Oprah Winfrey. Mm. She is just one that I just saw paving the way. So she is definitely one that I've always looked up to, followed, and just admired. Uh, What an amazing career path. And just, I just feel like she really in everything she does, she tries, the intent of it is always really good. She's trying to help better the lives of other people. And then also Brene Brown. So Oprah and Brene, those are two that I just think are just phenomenal, inspirational women that I look up to and and follow. Yeah, they are. They definitely are. Yeah. Love both of them. So hardest lesson that you learned that changed your life. I'm sure we've got some good stories too, because so far <laughs> this has been like great. <laughs> yes, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, from a life lesson point of view, I've always learned that failing does not mean failure. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of those things that I always call it failing forward. Mm-hmm. Because for me, whenever I make a mistake, I try, I then like, I really try to think about it. it depends on the, how big the mistake was too, but I always try to look at it like, okay, what can I learn from that? So I can make sure that it I don't experience that again. So for me, it's around that. That's just kind of a, a core key life lesson for me is that I'm going to fail. I'm not going to get things perfect every time. And so for me to not look at that as a failure, but just because I made a mistake doesn't mean I can't learn from it and then try not to make that same mistake again. So, so that's kind of what my biggest, you know, life lesson is, um, probably learning that the hard way is, you know, you know, the hardest, I don't know if I have, if I could pick one hard lesson, because honestly, life is a accumulation of multiple lessons that have gotten me to where I am today. Yeah. And I, I think it's really important for we as people to go, okay, let's just think about babies babies they have to learn how to roll over they have to get up and you know be on their their little knees and their hands and the whole walking experience and they fall down and they get up and they fall down and they get up and nowhere are they sitting here thinking oh i'm a failure they mm-hmm. sit here and they just keep trying and i feel like if we adopted that same mentality of it's okay we just keep trying it's important like dory right dory the fish. <laughs> there you go yeah i mean dory is like just keep trying just keep swimming you know? <laughs> like same same analogy <clears throat> okay so what would you like to be remembered for you know i would love to be remembered for helping teaching others how to create experiences for people to learn something about themselves 
So, and that's really at training wheels, when I do any of my team building work and at personify, when I do my leadership work is that I've tried to very, very intentionally create an experience that helps people learn something about themselves that then they can do something with that information. I really feel like I'm in the business of making people better people and really helping them like kind of go inward to really self-evaluate where are my strengths, where are my development opportunities and how can I show up as my best self? So that's what I would love to be remembered for that really that my work was just very intentional with trying to help people be better people. Hmm. I love that. That's really, really good. Um, Always important to have, have those thoughts for sure. So we're going to take a moment and just acknowledge our sponsor, Transcend Network, and we'll be right back. Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for edtech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with Employers for Change, and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show. And we're back to the second half of our show where we talk about the future of jobs and industries. What's it going to look like in 2030? What do you think it's going to look like? It's all opinion. So there is no right or wrong answer. Yeah. Well, here's what I hope it looks like. I hope that we're still interacting with people and things like that, that it's not so automated that it doesn't deter us from still being able to maintain connection with one another. I think with AI and the metaverse and all of those things that are currently here, I hope it doesn't significantly alter the way that we connect with people. Cause I feel like that is at our core, like human nature, we just, we, we have a strong desire to connect with other people. And when we, when we're doing it through AI, it just is, different. It's not the same depth. It's not the same level of connection. So um, I think I I firmly believe that technology makes us do what we do better. And at the same time, I still feel like we also need to bring it back to our core roots and still be able to connect with people. Mm -hmm. I would, yeah, I would agree with that. So thoughts about remote work, blended, on-site, flexible. Personally, I think that it's it's here to stay, but I think it's going to be more hybrid. It's going to be based more on the uh, role, the job role that a person has. Do you really have to? Yes, you have to have people in the hospital to take care of sick people. You can use maybe robots, but it's better to have people because I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sick. I want to see a person, not a robot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think it'll definitely, it is here to stay. Virtual is definitely here to stay. And I think that a hybrid will be a really good approach. I mean, even for me, like I, you know, I have a, a an office in a warehouse that I go into often to make sure that I stay connected to my staff. And some of my staff are remote. Some of them are in person. You know, we have a warehouse where we ship out our team building supplies and, and orders that come in, in the, you know, every single day. And so that has to be an in-person job. And so, so while remote is amazing, I also think maintaining those connections are also important. So even those that have, you know, I've heard a lot of companies are going to like fun Fridays or, or connection, you know, they, they make it to where one day a week people are coming in if it, if it's not a multinational and people are across a country, but if it, 
you know, if they do still have a physical office that one day a week people come in just for, to maintain connection with one another. And I, I really like that. I think it, it gets us, you know, it, it helps people stay productive, accountable um, as well. When we do see people face-to-face, -face, it also helps if there's conflict to try to do that face-to-face. -face. It's very difficult to read body language and, you know, get the full message when you are communicating via technology, whether it be mm -hmm. a, a, a video conferencing call or whether it be texting, we lose so much of the message when we are using technology to deliver the message. So in-person face-to-face is ideally the best way to communicate. And so when we are remote and hybrid, then it I think it impedes our, our ability to really be effective communicators. Yeah, I agree with you because people are made for relationship. You know, that's part of our purpose here on earth. We We can't do anything by ourselves. You know, to a certain extent you can, but there's limitations on every person. So you have to be somebody that is tuned in to others and realizing that, yes, I can build a hut, but I might be able to build a condo if I have others with me. Mm -hmm. so, Correct. Better, right? You know, it depends on what you're looking for. So what about robots? What are your thoughts about them? Well, you know, they fascinate me for sure. I have other gifts. That is not something that I would ever... Um, be able to, I just don't have that knowledge and background to build robots. I can come up with some ideas on what I think would be really cool for them to be able to do. But as far as the actual creating of them, I have other gifts. I need other people with those gifts to do them. I will tell you that whenever I travel internationally and I go, like they have robots now that like bring your food to you at your table instead of a waiter and things like that. And Although it's cool, that waiter still comes by and checks. So there's still a personal connection, even though some of the laborious tasks have been taken over by, by robots, but they also have done it in a way that the experience is still there. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, that kind of goes back to my core value of experiential and whatnot. And, you know, and honestly, as long as there is still some sort of personal connection, I'm totally okay with robots. Um, you know, again, I dislike the fact that some people may lose their jobs because of robots, but that also becomes an opportunity for creativity in my mind. You know, for me, I know like if, if I've ever fallen on hard times, I've had to get real creative with like, okay, I didn't like what happened. What am I going to do about it? You know, I can't change it. What am I going to do about it? And how can that help me move me forward? So again, creativity is one of those I don't like this, but what can I do? And I go into what I call sometimes MacGyver mode. Remember MacGyver, the yes. show from the 80s? Yes. So I just felt like that was the most creative show. Like he would just, you know, he could get himself trapped into a barn and, you know, somehow he would just use whatever materials he had available to him and he could make a bomb and blow himself out of the barn or whatever. And I feel like often that's what we do, what happens in life. We get kind of trapped into this little corner and then we have to just get creative and we have to figure out what it is that we want to do to get us out of our current situation to get us to the next step. So, so again, robots, I think they're super creative. And if they have a negative impact, then we just have to stay creative and then figure out how do we, how do we live in a world that has robots and still make it something that we want to be a part of. 
Mm-hmm. I, yep. Yeah. I'm in agreement with so much of what you're saying. I feel like, yeah, there's a place for it. There is, I read about this. It was uh, last month. There's a McDonald's and I believe it's in Orlando, if I remember correctly. And they are testing the fact that there are no humans running it. Zero. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you go up, you place your order, the food comes out, you know, you never have to encounter a person. Hmm. But I, I like the person at McDonald's that says hi, and you know, that's there to greet me. I like mm-hmm. that aspect. Because as to your point, not everybody is going to be a programmer, not everybody is going to be a data analyst. There are people that have um, challenges in life. Mm-hmm. And we need to remember, you know, where do they fit into a job opportunity or perhaps even a career path? And it's nice to have the people at Walmart when I walk and say hello mm-hmm. to me. So I think it's important to remember those types of skills. And even though they can fix a robot, doesn't mean still they have the skills to fix the robot, robot mm-hmm. because maybe there's somebody in a, a wheelchair that just can't do that. Mm-hmm. So there's... Uh, I agree. has to be a, a balance of humans and technology in the world. Well, because humans aren't going away and technology is not going to go away. So we just have to figure out how to coexist and, and, you know, like from an ethical point of view, we just have to make sure that whatever it is that we're doing, that it doesn't just, it, we don't do something to make the betterment for, ever, the, you know, the, the, you know the betterment of the masses without and then leaving some people behind that don't have the same creative skills to get themselves just for their even basic needs so we don't leave people without without you know attainable jobs and things like that yeah and that goes into a question that I always ask is what ethical dilemmas do you see because for me it's the same thing it's like there's people with uh, disabilities mental physical disabilities emotional disabilities and then there's people that come from you know other countries and they come here and even though they may have been a lawyer in their country they can't be that here so now they're mm-hmm. driving you know a, a car an uber or a lyft well if we make it so that cars are autonomous and they're driving without a driver now what does somebody do and certainly to your point it does allow for more creativity but it doesn't always mean that somebody's skill set is is that so mm-hmm. I feel like so I think yeah. as long as those that are also creating the robots creating the things that are that could be taking jobs away from some people as long as they also have some sort of responsibility or at least internal um, ethos, if you will, that they also then have to help create something that will also be a part of a solution. Yeah. Be a part of the solution to help um, replace the job of the one that they are replacing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That that's goes back to your words that you were using to describe yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. There needs to be some accountability. Yes. If you do this, then what are you doing to help bridge some gaps. Mm -hmm. So going back to it, what are your thoughts about AR, VR? And also I'm a fan of Star Trek. I always Mm -hmm. love it when it's beam me up, Scotty, you know, (laughs) dematerializing a person and Mm -hmm. then they they appear as a whole person later. (laughs) What are your thoughts? You know, with chat GPT and those things that are here now, um, I will say I've of course toyed with it. I've of course toyed with it a little bit. And 
I there I think there's so much that we can benefit from more of a time saver than anything. However, it's also becomes going back to our previous question around ethical dilemmas. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I've been playing around with it just to see like what all it would do, and then just particularly me. Like, of course, my book is out there in the world, The Real Sisters, plus all my other books that I've written at Training Wheels. And so I actually was just playing around with it a little bit, and I went in and I was like write a what would be the team building chapters of a book that Michelle Cummings would write and just hit send and it actually populated some pretty accurate information so it's shocking on one hand but then on the other hand I'm like wow that that actually is really well thought out and it's actually kind of written in my voice a little bit and of course there were some things that were not accurate and I would have to go in and change but it like really I'm like wow that was very intuitive so um so anyway so I like it and it's a little scary because also I I mean I'm I'm Michelle Cummings so I went in and just did that on myself but that means somebody else could do the same thing and Mm -hmm. so therefore who then owns that work is that my intellectual property still is that somebody else's so the uh the ethical dilemmas that come up around the AI and and things like that is a little bit scary. And then we played around with it a little bit with like draw a draw a horse the way Van Gogh would draw him, you know, and make it pink and purple or something like that. And it produced a crazy photo or likeness of exactly what I asked. Like, I mean, Van Gogh, I know he's been gone a long time, but then it's still his work, right? right? So it's it's one of those that it just, it was cool. And it really gives you pause on what is the ethical responsibility that Mm -hmm. GPT, those types of things have for making sure that people's work doesn't get stolen or their IP or their whatever that, you know, whatever is intellectual property of theirs, that it doesn't get just widely used by others. Do you watch um, Black Mirror? I don't know. Okay. So you should go and watch the show. It's on Netflix. It's called Black Mirror. And it's about the use of AI and uh, everything you can imagine, robots, VR, everything in there. And it's taking consciousness of people and putting it into like a little stuffed animal. They have a new season that just came out. They're really dark. I'm going to tell you. They're really a little bit of frightening. And I'm not the only person that says that because this, this is really where I go. But where are the ethics? Why are we doing this? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that it, it does happen in places. So anyway, there was an episode I just finished watching it and where exactly to your point again, there is this ability for a company to go and create content out there and they t- can take Michelle Cummings, they take your face, put it on top of another character. And now I'm seeing this is the name of the Netflix series It's Joan is Awful. And mm. so they could go and say, Isabella is awful, awful. Mm, Michelle is awful. And then it's, they're actually, because of what you, you actually accept in the terms and conditions, you are unwittingly allowing yourself and your likeness to be portrayed into mm. TV and shows that people can watch. And I went, I need to be reading those terms and conditions. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it was almost exactly like what you were just creating in that narrative that you shared with uh, what that was. And it was Selma Hayek that was playing the actress of this other woman that was playing the actress of somebody else. And it was like, 
you had to destroy this machine to be able to get mm. back to the core of who you really are without having um, multiple faces over your your person. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's dark. They're all dark. They're really yeah, dark. But so I, I think that they're very um, important to to see and think, wow, you know, there are people that think this way and there are ways that people can monetize from some of the things that we agree to in terms and conditions that we just don't even realize when we accept Facebook or, you know, LinkedIn or just pick a channel or right. something. Yep. So how do you get off of the grid safely without having your life being um, publicized in ways right. that you may not like? That's that mm -hmm. ethical dilemma, right? Yeah, so absolutely. We are closing in at the end here. Um, what best mentoring advice would you like to share with our listeners? And just so you have a range, it's about 22, 23. They are not in college. They are out of college. Mm. Going up to about 65 plus, a little heavier on the male side of the listening base in all industries. Okay. So, well, a couple of pieces of advice that I would give to someone is actually to enlist a mentor. Mm. Um, <laughs> mentoring advice is to have a mentor and not only for me, now I'm in my fifties. And so for me, I will say, I have always tried to have a mentor that was older than me, but as I started to age, I also then started, um, hiring mentors that are younger than generational me. mentors, generational right? mentors, because, you know, just because I was 20 doesn't mean I, I mean, I remember what it was like when I was 20, but man, was the world different, yeah. you know, when I was 20 than it is right now. And so what, how is their experience different that I could learn from it now that it actually is still going to help me and benefit me in my, in my career, in my life, in my, you know, as I, as I am advancing in my years and then, you know, just also, so having generational mentors, that is one piece of advice that I always give people. And then my other business advice that I give young entrepreneurs is that a piece of advice I wish I would have gotten that I didn't is that. Um, if you do start your own company, then get a business line of credit before you need it. Oh, and that's a good one. <laughs> because as soon as you need it, you can't get one. Yeah, and true. and so, and then also just like my parents never really talked about money, credit scores, things like that. And it's also just like, don't, if you're going to get a credit card, I mean, everyone, you, you need to have a credit card to build a credit, to build credit, but don't pay it off every month do not use it for anything else other than just to charge, get some points or whatever, and then pay it off every month. I had no idea that credit could negatively affect you as badly as it did me early, early, like, you know, in my, in my twenties. Um, cause I just had zero education around it. And now, um, you know, with a perfect credit score, it took a, you know, it takes some time to build that, but that also will really impede your ability to do what you really want to do in life if you don't take care of your financial health as well. So I'm a fan of the mentoring that you mentioned. I write a lot about peer and reverse mentoring, which is mm -hmm. really what generational mentoring can be. Mm -hmm. um, but peer and reverse mentoring is not just in, in the area of age. It is also across different types of industries and technology and things of that sort. Uh, you know, can be genders, whatever, but peer in reverse is usually the younger is mentoring you. And mm -hmm. I find it so valuable. That's what I built inside of my platform of employers for change is that as a way to accelerate learning also. 
Mm-hmm. So that's why I have a lot of interest in what you're doing. And and I hope that you would find it mutually. I'm putting my little shameless own plug in here. I don't normally do that though, but you know, <laughs> I really like a lot of what you're doing and your thoughts. And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm on the same page. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. So how can our listeners find you? What's the website, the social channels, you know, sure. that we don't normally give out emails or phone numbers. We just share LinkedIn profiles, but sure. Of course. Yep. So my website for training wheels is, is training dash wheels.com. Don't forget the dash. Uh-huh. We get a very different website and they're not nearly as much fun as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're very cool though because I chat with them often because they often get emails from me. <laughs> but and then personify leadership is personifyleadership.com. And then for my novel, it's therealsisters.com. And then you can also I have Facebook pages for each one of those three as well. So you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, it is the Michelle Cummings or Real Sister, R-E-E-L-S-I-S-T-E-R. And then also on LinkedIn, I've got a LinkedIn profile as well. Got it. Well, thank you so much. Um, and you mentioned Facebook. So if you're going to share that one, throw that out. You mentioned that you're going to share those links with me so I can make sure I have them all typed in here correctly. But um, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This has been so much fun for me personally, and I'm sure for my listeners also. So it looks like you know, you're off into another area of being in the films. I'm going to follow you because I'm going to go, I know her. She's That's right. <laughs> and maybe you'll be in the movie too. I know. I Hopefully I will get a cameo. That would be super fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be good. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our video team, Leona Blair and Gabe Laporte. Music is by Sophie Lloyd. Be sure to visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting the Intern Whisper by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or stream from your favorite podcast channel.